Magomed Ankalaev is next in line at light heavyweight. Song Yudong deserves a lot more attention, and a whole bunch of good fights took place inside the octagon. It is Sunday, March 13th. I am E. Spencer Kite, and these are the next day takeaways for UFC Vegas 50. It is fantastic to be back doing this after a couple weeks away. I apologize to everybody. Life has been hectic. We've had some family out. We've had some family things going on. And so the last couple weeks getting this done just hasn't really worked out. There hasn't been an opportunity to do it or, or really time to do it. But we're back. And, and I want to start this week and this episode by actually looking at the co-main event. And at Song Yudong in particular, he goes out on Saturday night and scores a first-round knockout win over Marlon Marais. Um, a result that a lot of people expected, but I still think that it caught a lot of people off guard in terms of how quickly it happened, how dominant it was, how decisive it was. If you watched the fight, the first punch that Song Yudong lands that's really clean is a right hand. And it kind of wobbles and it kind of rocks Marlon Marais. I said after the fight that this is a kid that, that really we should be talking about a lot more. And it truly is staggering to me that he doesn't get a greater amount of attention given what he's accomplished. He's 24 years old. This was his eighth win in the UFC in 10 starts. He is... Absolutely part of the top 15, maybe part of the top 10 now. And yet he's somebody that we rarely mention and rarely sort of talk about when discussing the best prospects, not only in the division, but in the UFC as a whole. I do have to give credit where it's due. ESPN MMA had Song Yudong at the top of their 25 under 25. I think that's an absolutely deserving spot in terms of what he's accomplished. I would maybe move some things around based on people that have a little longer shelf life in that sort of ranking system or in that sort of list structure. Um, but given what he's done and given what he's accomplished, it's just wild to me that there wasn't more attention on him going into this fight. There hasn't been more attention on him kind of period because he looked great against Julio Arce before this. As I said, he's now 8-1-1 one one in the UFC and even if you want to take his two closest fights, so the draw with Cody Stamen and the split decision victory over Marlon Chito Vera that I know a lot of people felt went Vera's way, and flip those to losses. Let's just say they're, they're setbacks for Song Yudong. It would have made him 6-3 and three going into this fight instead of 7-1-1. One one. But for a 24-year-old... That's still a really impressive record in the UFC, given that the losses are against top 15 fighters. The other loss in there came at the start of last year against Kyler Phillips, who has subsequently lost the fight to Howley and Paiva, but rebounded last time out and looked great against Marcelo Hoyo. Um, and so here's Song Yudong, right? Even worst case scenario, he's 6-3 and three as a 24-year-old, yet isn't somebody that we talk about the way we talk about Sean O'Malley, the way we get excited about Adrian Yanez, the way we get excited about even prospects in other divisions, in other weight classes, and across the gender divide. Everybody was rightfully super excited about 
Miranda Maverick and Macy Barber and Casey O'Neill and Aaron Blanchfield when she debuted last year. And they absolutely deserve that acclaim and attention and recognition. But Song Yudong has been here and been putting up these performances and is now 11 fights into his UFC or 10 fights into his UFC career and is 8-1-1 and just knocked out a former title challenger, a guy that was a top five fixture from the time he arrived in the UFC. And I said going into this weekend's event that there will absolutely be people that want to make this about more about Marlon Marais being on the downside of things. And I know he took his gloves off in the cage. I don't think he left them in the cage, so it might just be a taking them off, get them off quickly kind of thing that we've seen more people do. Maybe it is retirement. I'm not sure. This is four straight losses. That certainly plays a part in it. He clearly cannot take shots the way that he used to. Um, he's not doling them out the way that he used to either. But Marlon Moraes is still a guy that if you're not ready to be a top 10 fighter, you're not going to go out there and beat him like that. This doesn't feel like a guy that is just absolutely shopworn. He's not losing to scrubs. And maybe that comes, maybe we see that as he continues to, if he continues to fight and gets paired up further down the divisional hierarchy. But right now, this feels like a statement and a testament to the talents of Song Yudong who absolutely is somebody we should be talking about a great deal more and looking at as not only a contender right now, but somebody that has the potential in this division that is absolutely loaded and flush with talent and so competitive and so entertaining, but somebody that can be around for the next... Like, it's not inconceivable that he has another 10 years left in his career in the UFC. Imagine how good this kid is going to be with another two or three years of experience and gym time and education at, at Team Alpha Male under his belt as he grows more into his kind of man strength and fills out his frame even more and develops sort of that, gets to that point where experience and, and athleticism sort of overlap finally and, and he's a finished product or as or a closer version to a finished product like He's somebody that I'm obviously, as as you can tell from this, I'm super excited about the prospects of Song Yudong going forward and what he brings to the octagon. And it truly is surprising to me that we haven't spent more time talking about him. Now, the reasons for that are things that I've touched on, talked about, harped on, droned on about many times over on the newsletter, on Twitter, things of that nature. It is in part because he is not a native English speaker. It is in part because he is not somebody that's going to go out there and run his mouth and post all kinds of wild photos on Instagram or say all kinds of wild stuff on Twitter and things of that nature. It's also just a function of the fact that we don't cover just the fights anymore. We don't cover just the athletes. We don't cover just the results. We cover more of the peripheral stuff and more of the outside of the cage things than we actually do the results and the performances and the athletes putting forward those efforts. 
It's never made sense to me. It's not who I am in this sport in terms of what I do and what I produce. And it will never make sense to me because at the end of the day, we're all watching to see who the best fighter is, not who has the best Instagram account, not who has the best burns on Twitter or the, or the sickest memes on either of those platforms or anything like that. It all ultimately, for me at least, comes down to who produces the best, who delivers the best fights, who is the best competitor once that cage door closes. And Saturday night, and increasingly over the last few fights, Song Yudong has made it clear that the answer is him in the bantamweight division, at least for right now. And yet we don't talk about him nearly as much as we do some of the other emerging talents in that division. And I think that's a disservice to him. I think it's a disservice by the media to the fans and consumers that should be well aware of this guy and should be as excited as I am and we are in general about the prospects he has going forward. And I really hope that a performance like this on Saturday, where he goes out and gets a two-minute knockout win over a former cha title challenger, a guy that everybody universally agrees was one of the best bantamweights in the world very recently, gives him that shine and gives him that moment in the spotlight that an effort like this and his overall results already deserves. Odd now to jump into the main event after covering the co-main event, but we're going to go a little backwards here because we do have to touch on Magomed Ankalaev. Goes out and gets a unanimous decision win over Thiago Santos in his first main event. Um, saw some people say it hasn't been a great fight. I really enjoyed it because I, I always enjoy that interplay of the tactics and the techniques of, you know, early Ankalaev's looking to counter, but we know the power is there. And then Santos drops him because he touches him upside the head and, and seeing how the, the dynamics of that fight played out are always entertaining to me. The big takeaway and the big piece that I want to touch on here in regards to Ankalaev's performance, it's a piece of what we talked about on the on the Severe MMA preview show on Thursday, um, but also coupled with the going forward. So on Thursday, we talked about why he is so dangerous and why he is somebody that myself and a couple other gentlemen on that show, Harry Powell and Sean Denny, are so very high on. And it's because he has such diversity in his skills and so many different things that he can do. And we saw that on Saturday. We saw the smart, patient approach of making reads and landing that those hooks early. We saw the ability, though very little, to get the fight to the ground and, and nullify that power from Tiago Santos and clinch down the stretch to kind of ride out the clock and, and nullify, neutralize that power. We also saw that he could go 25 minutes still fighting the way that he has always fought. We've seen power before. We've seen a dynamic kicking game. And to me, the fact that he has those pieces coupled with the fact that this is now eight straight wins means this guy should be fighting for the title next. And I know that there will be some that want to argue 
you know, three straight decision wins isn't necessarily what you want from the next title challenger. And while I understand the argument, my counter would be who else is there? Alexander Rakic is in a similar position coming off two wins, two decisions. Neither were thrilling fights against Anthony Smith or Tiago Santos. He was supposed to fight Jan Blachowicz. Uh, Jan had to pull out. He is recovering. They are expected to fight again or expected to fight at some point this summer. I think he's very much in the mix. I don't think you need to hustle Jan Blachowicz back into a championship fight if he comes away victorious. The only other guy now that will be in the top five because Ankolaev should move up and take Tiago Santos' spot is Anthony Smith. He doesn't have a fight book booked. His last fight was against Ryan Spann. He's already challenged for the title. He's already fought Glover Teixeira. So he maybe feels to me one or two steps behind. He feels like the guy that should be fighting Jamal Hill next. And so to keep it at Ankolaev, you look at eight straight wins, three straight against ranked opponents, has the complete package. No one else is really lined up. Nobody else is booked. Nothing else is matched up. You've got the championship fight set for the summer. You could probably have him as a backup if need be. That fight's in three months, I believe, going to take place in June. And so he would have time to have two, three, four weeks off and then ramp up into another eight-week camp if he was so inclined, if the UFC made it worth his while to be ready for that kind of situation. Or you can have him just kind of hold steady and, and wait until the fall to fight the winner of that fight, or even if it's the winter, to fight the winner of that fight. Because to me, the trouble with doing anything else is that when you keep putting more obstacles in front of these guys and continue to want to put another fight and seek out, he needs to beat one more guy, or it needs to be a more exciting performance like that, similar to what we've heard with Islam Mahashev as well, is that you run the risk of losing these contenders that are on these dynamic winning streaks that regardless of how those fights are ending and how those fights are playing out, I say it all the time, if winning eight, nine, and 10 fights in the UFC were easy, more people would be on seven, eight, nine, 10 fight winning streaks. The fact that they're not tells you that what these people are doing is special and therefore should be rewarded. I understand wanting the biggest names, thinking about it from a business perspective if you are the UFC, wanting as fans to be super excited coming off of a dynamic performance for one of these contenders. But ultimately, as I said, similar to Song Yudong, I want to see who is the absolute best fighter. It's not who produces the best highlights. It's not who produces the best finishes. It's who is the best fighter. And right now, to me in this division, I think it's Magomed Ankalaev. I think he's similar to Islam Mahashev in that, in that regard. I think he has the complete arsenal of skills that no matter who you put in there with him, he is going to be a nightmare matchup for that person. There are still some holes. There are still some periods where he can almost, it seems, lose focus. We saw that Saturday when he got touched up and kind of sat down in the second round. But on the whole, this is a guy at 29 years old and on an eight-fight winning streak that deserves that opportunity 
to kind of test my hypothesis, if you will, to prove himself against that absolute top guy in the division, be it Glover Teixeira or Yuri Prohashka later this year, because beating Anthony Smith doesn't tell me anything more than beating the last three fighters he's beaten tells me. Beating Alexander Rakic doesn't do doesn't do anything for me either. Maybe if you say we're going to pair him off with Jan Blahovic, that's something I can think of. But at the same time, I don't need to see Jan rushed back into a championship opportunity off one fight. I would love the UFC to get away from hustling these former champions right back into championship contention and championship pairing. So to me, the takeaway from Saturday is that Magomed Ankalaev is deserving of and ready for a championship opportunity. I think he might be the best light heavyweight in the UFC at this time, and I really want to see it tested, I guess, is the best way to put that inside the octagon. Further down the main card, we get to the featherweight matchup between Sadiq Yusuf and Alex Caceres. Unanimous decision for Super Sadiq, who comes back after about a year away since his loss to Arnold Allen. Gets a good win, beats up the lead leg as expected. For me, this was a fight where two things were equally true. Alex Caceres has clearly put it all together. He is a much better fighter than he was even four years ago when he was still that kind of mercurial, consistently inconsistent guy. But at the same time, I think we saw on Saturday that he tops out just outside of that top 15 in that range where he's going to be a tough fight for guys like Sadiq Yusuf, who I think entered the fight at number 12 in the rankings. So anybody in that 11 through 15 spot, it's going to be a tough fight if you're in there with Bruce Leroy. Anybody looking to climb the ranks at his expense, you're in for a long night. He has sorted out some of the elements of his game that were always a little bit shaky or, or inconsistent and turned them into pluses. It's amazing to see. It's part of the reason I adore this sport and pay such close attention to as many fighters as possible over as long a period as possible. Because there have been multiple instances where you could have said, or the UFC could have said, that's the end of the road for Alex Caceres. But he's continued to persevere. He's continued to do the work. He's continued to kind of do the work both in the cage and out of the cage. If you hear him talk about it, it's a lot about self-belief. It's a lot about mindset. And that translates into getting the best of your skills. I mentioned earlier with Song Yudong how he's still a few years away from that point where his athleticism probably reaches its peak, maybe even starts to dip a little. But his experience and his professionalism and his savvy and his understanding of things inside the cage starts to overlap and becomes a, a bigger strength than it is now. And that's what I think we're seeing with Caceres. Got to remember, he started in the UFC at 21 years old, not a lot of experience. He's gained all of that experience and garnered all of that experience fighting at the highest level against the best fighters in the world. And there have been some good wins and some very bad and ugly losses to guys that didn't last more than a year in the UFC, which is always a head scratcher. 
but he's showing now that you can continue to make progress, continue to develop over time and get better and become the best version of yourself later in your career. I think we often look at fighters when they're young and athletic and sort of in that prime age range that we talk about of sort of 27 to 30, 31, maybe even 32. Alex Caceres has passed that now, but he is clearly the best he's been because he's figured out how to take the natural talents that he has, take the skills that he's honed and sharpened over the years, and combine that with the belief and the understanding of how to fight. And it's produced the best run of his career. Got a loss on Saturday, but he looked good for long portions of that fight throughout that fight against a bona fide top 15 featherweight who's several years younger than him and is a ascending fighter himself in, in Sadiq Yusuf. So to me, it's hats off to Alex Caceres. Congratulations on the continued progress, the continued work, and becoming a guy that I think over the next couple years is going to continue to be a menace to anyone looking to climb into the top 15 in the featherweight division. Shift to the light heavyweight division, and oh boy, is Khalil Roundtree Jr. a violent, violent man when he wants to be. Um, absolutely scorching finish of Carl Roberson early in the second round. If anyone remembers when Khalil Roundtree was on The Ultimate Fighter, um, in his audition fight, like his fight to get into the cage, he uncorked some very, very heavy, very vicious soccer kicks to the midsection of whatever poor soul was stuck in the cage with him. And it gave people that like, oh, this is somebody we need to follow this is somebody we need to pay attention to kind of feel. It, for me, is has always been there. I've been a fan from, from the get-go. Khalil is someone that I've had an opportunity to speak with a great deal. Everything we saw from him and heard from him after the fact is a big part of that. He is a very articulate, very passionate, um, very intelligent, thoughtful human being. But when he gets in that cage and is focused and is locked in and performs to the best of his abilities, he saw Saturday night can be a regular occurrence. It hasn't been thus far. He is another one of those guys that has been at times maddeningly inconsistent. You have the wins early in his career. Then you have the knockout of Gokensaki, but you also have some frustrating losses in there, a submission loss very early to Tyson Pedro, the loss to Martin Prakniao last year. It's been a duality for him of locked in versus not quite focused versus and, and maybe not quite believing in himself enough or aggressive enough. But over these last couple of fights, he's really dialed it in. We've seen two very violent finishes, two very impressive finishes from the 31-year-old who seems to be getting comfortable with who he is or maybe who he needs to be when he gets into the cage and being able to separate that out from who he is outside of the cage and everything else that he does and fighting up to, I, I try not to use the word potential, but fighting up to all the abilities that he's shown in flashes, we're starting to see them in more sustained flashes 
And it's a very interesting thing to me because he's still 31, still relatively young in this sport in terms of miles and number of fights. We know he said Saturday that it's 12 years since he started training. It hasn't been 12 years that he's been fighting professionally. He's a guy in this division where three or four good wins put you in the top 15 or in the in the range of that. He's coming, and I'm really interested to see who he gets matched up with next. Next up on the main card, the wild, terrific, entertaining three-minute and 17-second fight between Do- Drew Dober and Terrence McKinney. I have no idea how Drew Dober survived. He looked dead to rights. Then not only does he survive, but he returns all the way back and gets the finish of his own beautiful knee in the clinch against Terrence McKinney that drops him, falls him to the ground, pounds him out. This to me again, and and I referenced it earlier, goes back to something we talked about on the Severe MMA preview show, that Drew Dober is the kind of guy that no one runs through. He's only lost to quality competition in the last couple years. He's been around the block. He has the complete skill set that you need. Like he is a he is a professional fighter, full stop. And to beat him, you have to be very, very good. He started last year in the top 15, got knocked out of there with losses to Islam Makashev and Brad Riddell. The only other loss he's got, I think, in the last five years is Benil Daryush, who's a top five fighter. And so to me, this is another one of those fights. And I know, as I've said before, I, I harp on these things. This is another one of those efforts where you need to stop and appreciate the Drew Dobers of the world. And on the prelims, the J.J. Aldrich's, Aldrich's of the world, who are just these clean, professional, smart, technical well-rounded, do-everything-right fighters, as, as Sean Sheehan talked about Aldrich on the preview show, that just go out there, you know what it takes to beat them, you know the caliber that they are and where they fit in their division. They give you a great performance, win or lose, every time, and we don't talk about them enough. We don't give them their flowers that they deserve. We don't sing their praises. We fixate on so many other things when, again... The effort is there. This, for me, might be fight of the year. I haven't really sat down and poured into it, but it's on my running list, and it might be number one right now. Part of that is that we haven't had any real, like, crazy barn burners that I can remember that really held my attention thus far, and part of it that this was a wild three minutes and change, where at the start, it seemed very much like Terrence McKinney was about two shots away from getting two wins in 14 days and just blowing his way into the top 15. And then Drew Dober comes hustling all the way back. This is one of those fights that I hope people remember, one of those performances that I hope people remember going forward. I do think Terrence McKinney is going to be better for having gone through this. He said all the right things coming out of it on social media. He is a good kid with an abundance of talent. And if he figures out sort of that last piece that feels like it's missing of dialing it back 15%, 10%, kind of like Trevor Whitman told Justin Gaethje back in one of his big fights, I think it was the Tony Ferguson fight. Take 10% off and you finish this guy. Terrence McKinney was trying to throw everything 
to put Drew Dober out and he kind of threw himself out of position a couple times and burnt a lot of energy that he didn't need to burn. If he can dial that back 10%, grow from this performance, grow from this setback, he will still be a factor in this division going forward. But on Saturday night, man, Drew Dober put on one of those wild comeback performances that, that you have to sit down and appreciate and reaffirm that he is one of those veterans that we just need to spend more time giving a little praise and attention to. Main card kicked off with Alex Pajera getting a victory over Bruno Silva. Unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. The takeaway for me is that Alex Pereira is nowhere near ready for anyone in the top 10, yet alone Israel Adesanya. And this is what I was saying on Wednesday for in, in one question when asking, can we be done with the whole this person is scared of me thing? I understand what Alex Pereira is trying to do. Work his way, talk his way into a fight with Israel Adesanya, who he beat in kickboxing twice. But to come out and say that the guy that is the reigning champion in the division that has done so much more in this sport than he has is absolutely absurd, is the kind of thing that to me as journalists, it's not that we shouldn't print it because he said it, print it, we are here just to convey the information but for me, I'm putting context with it. And that context is that Alex Pereira was 1-0 in the UFC when he said this. He was 4-1 in his professional MMA career. He had fought twice in five years. And he had a long, long way to go. And let's see what he does on Saturday. So Saturday night, he goes out. He gets a victory over Bruno Silva that was a harder-to-earn victory than I think a lot of people imagined. I think it was a harder fight than Pereira imagined it was be, would be. And I think for me and many others, it showed that the gap between he and a fight with Israel Adesanya is much wider than anybody maybe expected if they were hoping it would be a quick run to championship contention for the former Glory 2-8 world champion. He called out Jared Cannonier afterwards it's absurd. Jared Cannonier is going to get the next title fight. In talking with my pal Harry Harry Powell on DMs during the fight, he suggested Edmund Shabazian. I think it's an interesting fight because Edmund does have a little bit of wrestling. I mean, looking at the I'm looking at the rankings now, and there there's not anybody in that top fifteen, save for maybe those bottom two guys right now of Chris Weidman and Edmund Shabazian that I could see Alex Pereira beating. And that is because Chris Weidman is shopworn and coming back off a broken leg. And I think Edmund Shabazian's striking defense is poor and his confidence is just absolutely shattered right now. If you put him in there with anybody that can wrestle, they're taking him down, putting him his, his back on the canvas, and either beating the face off of him or submitting him. That goes for guys like Kelvin Gastelum that have struggled lately. That goes for someone like Jack Hermanson, who's coming off a loss and couldn't take Sean Strickland down. That goes for Derek Brunson, absolutely. And it goes for Marvin Vittori as well. So the fact that Pereira was out here talking about Israel Adesanya scared of me. If he really wanted to fight me, he wouldn't be bothering with all of these other guys. He'd be calling me out. 
is complete nonsense and we need to treat it as such when it comes out. We need to speak about it as such when it comes out. Because we're just out here, like, are we here to just parrot information? Or are we here to tell the story and put context to everything that is said? I think we saw on Saturday night that Alex Pereira has a lot of work to do before he should be talking about Israel Adesanya again. Quick trip through some of the other preliminary card fights. Matt Semmelsberger and AJ Fletcher absolutely just got after it. A pair of athletic dudes that are still trying to figure out how to convert that athleticism and power into functional MMA skill on a consistent basis. But it was fun and entertaining for three rounds. Semi gets the victory, his second straight uh, first loss of the career for AJ Fletcher, who I think, and I wrote this earlier in the week, might be better off looking at, seeing if he can make it to lightweight. He is a little undersized. He was given up. I mean, Semi's huge for the division, but he was still a little undersized, got a little tired. So we'll see if maybe there's something that can change there. I mentioned J.J. Aldrich goes out and gets a unanimous decision win, her third straight over Julian Robertson. Give these professionals their flowers, man. Appreciate them. There's so many fighters that can't do what she does of just go out and have consistent performances like that, working behind clean technique and sound fundamentals. It's so, We all fall in love with Flash. We all fall in love with highlights. There have been some good moments from Jillian Robertson. But she can't wrestle, and she can't throw, throw a good jab, and she, she doesn't have a good one too, and that cost her tonight, and it's going to keep costing her until she can figure it out. we gotta, we got to big up. These people that just get it done consistently as J.J. Aldrich has. Uh, Javid Basharat goes out, gets a unanimous decision win in his debut. He's a guy that I was unsure of going in. Heard some good things from the boys on the Severe show about his potential and what he can do in this division going forward. It was a strong performance. I want to see him take a slow road. Bantamweight is so stacked with talent right now that there is absolutely no need to keep hustling him forward. He mentioned Guido Canetti, who got a win earlier in the night, as a possible opponent. That feels a little weird just because Guido Canetti's a 42-year-old that is still a sub-500 fighter in the UFC. But someone in that similar trajectory as him, I thought of Chad and Helliger, who got his debut win a couple weeks ago, a similar contender series grad from last year, on a same trajectory, on a similar timeline. Might be a good matchup. Chad's a little more experienced, a little more savvy than some of these other guys that the Basharat could get matched up with, but a very good performance nonetheless. Damon Jackson looks great. Another one of these veteran guys that just a ton of experience against good fighters at every level, at every stop he's been at, against a overmatched and as yet unproven Camuela Kirk to get the submission win. I hope the Leech gets an opportunity against a, maybe not top 15, but a top 25 guy. Again, a top 20 guy. He is another one of these fighters that I keep talking about. Maybe a step below the Drew Dobers of the world, but a guy that's just going to be a nightmare matchup and a pain in the ass for so many fighters. We have to appreciate these people that go 2-1 and one or 3-2. and two. They are crucial to the ecosystem of the UFC and each of these divisions. And when they have great performances like this, and when they have strong efforts, as Damon Jackson did, 
we got to give them at least a little bit of shine and not just skip over them and not just ignore them as guys that aren't going to be contenders. Not everybody is going to be a contender. Not everybody is going to be a champion. That doesn't mean that they are not without value. Damon Jackson showed on Saturday. He brings a lot of value to the table as a experienced, dangerous finisher in the featherweight division. Miranda Maverick goes out and gets a much-needed win, I think, and a confidence-building win against Sabrina Mazzo. Transitional grappling at its finest, getting the choke sunk in before worrying about hooks, before worrying about anything else. Um, Part A of the takeaway for me is that Maverick is very much still in that mix alongside Aaron Blanchfield, Casey O'Neill, Macy Barber as up-and-comers in that division, Maria Agapova as well, although she lost last weekend. I think she is somebody that as she continues to work with that crew at Elevation is going to continue to get better. We saw the grappling here. We saw the physicality here. It does make you realize, or I hope it makes you realize, how damn good Aaron Blanchfield is to control her thoroughly last year in their fight. The other takeaway for me is Sabina Mazo just has has topped out, has absolutely plateaued as a prospect, as a fighter. She too is only 24. That feels incomparable to me, given that she's been around for what feels like a long, long time. But she just hasn't been able to put it together. It's been fits and starts and some good performances, but it's three straight losses now. And I said on Saturday during the fight, like, she needs to be somebody, given her size, given her height, given her reach, that is just pumping jabs out there and just fundamental volume striking because that can be super effective, especially right now in the flyweight division, given sort of how it's set up. But she is always looking for the cleanest shot and the best shot and single throwing singles, and it just hasn't worked. And we've seen... The pack is caught up to her. She made a splash with these head kick knockouts in LFA. It hasn't translated at all. We haven't seen any of that. She's now switched gyms. She's out in Connecticut with Glover Teixeira after being at Kings for a long time with Rafael Cordero. I don't think it's a where she's training thing. I think it's a how she fights thing. And until she starts throwing those jabs and or using low kicks more or using keeps to the body more to keep people at range to maximize that range she's going to end up in fights like this and continue being on the wrong side of things i think she'll get another shot in the ufc because she is only 24 she's lost to pretty good competition but she needs to make some changes and it's not about camp it's about how she deploys her skills last couple on the on the prelims before we get out of here before we take a look at london actually going forward Cody Brundage with a Hail Mary comeback, grab a guillotine choke against Dolce Lungiambula. Um, Brundage is a is a guy plucked straight out of, you know, 20, 2007 UFC, 2009 UFC maybe, where he is a, a wrestler first and foremost, and then everything else is secondary. It's going to be hard for him to succeed, but kudos for, for clamping onto that guillotine and getting that choke. I think that's probably the last we see of Dolce Lungiambula in the UFC. He's been inconsistent. He's now two and three. Weight class change hasn't changed anything. Change in gym hasn't changed anything. There are some guys that just 
don't have the ability to compete at this level, regardless of how much power they bring to the cage, regardless of how much we think about, oh, if they just fix X, Y, and Z, they'll be better. It's hard to fix X, Y, and Z. We're going to be talking about if he could just fix X, Y, and Z for a little while longer with Dolce Lungiambula. I think he's probably on his way out after this setback. Guido Canetti, as I mentioned, gets a victory, a first-round stoppage win over Chris Moutinho. Um, I said going into the fight, like, I didn't want to be a jerk, but Moutinho got the face beat off of him by Sean O'Malley, and everybody was carrying that as a, as a badge of honor for this kid. Being a punching bag isn't a badge of honor to me. I thought that fight should have been stopped. I thought his corner did him a disservice continuing to send him out there when he's having no offensive success and he's just absorbing punishment that he doesn't need to absorb. He's not a guy that was going to go out there and catch Sean O'Malley with something. He's not a power hitter. And so to then go from that fight to this fight where he's facing a 42-year-old, as I said earlier, with a sub-500 record, and it's the same thing. I think it tells me that Chris Moutinho shouldn't be fighting in the UFC. He doesn't have the defensive skills or the fight IQ to compete at this level. And more than anything, for his health and long-term viability, I don't want to see him get beat. This is two straight standing TKO finishes for this guy. I mean, it, it doesn't get more clear or more concise to me than that, that, that you don't belong in the UFC. And for all the people that shout all the time about, you know, how terrible the Contender Series is, or, oh my God, the, the Ultimate Fighter is still around, and what it means to be UFC caliber has changed so much in the years. Absolutely, but you guys were all celebrating the guts and toughness of Chris Moutinho which to me means you you missed the point. And the people saying that that this stoppage on Saturday was early or we, we know that Moutinho can take more punishment than that. This isn't about watching these men and women take more punishment because we know they can. They are competing and putting their health and well-being on the line for our entertainment. And we shouldn't be sitting here demanding more blood, demanding longer beatings, because we know they can take them. We should be seeing more corner stop fights. We should always be on the side of a stoppage being a little bit premature as opposed to a little bit late because people's livelihood and people's lives are on the line when they're in there. And so shout out to Chris Tyone for stopping this fight the way he did, when he did, as definitively as he did. Because, yeah, you could have let Moutinho take a couple more, but he had he didn't need to. He was done. He was out on his feet. And unfortunately for him, I think it means he's out of the UFC as well. Prelims kicked off. Azamat Mazarkanov, Mirzakanov, sorry, comeback win against Tafon Chukwi. Just after I had tweeted, did I get out on my boy Tafon to Don a little too early? Somebody that I thought had a great deal of potential when he rolled into the UFC. Out comes Mirzakanov with the, I don't want to call it a flying knee because he kind of has the same ups that I do on the basketball court, that little six-inch vertical. But he got up, brought the head down, put knee to head, put Chukwi out. I think he's a guy that can be dangerous. I really want to see the next fight. That's the takeaway for me here is what comes next. I want to see if he can improve that conditioning. I want to see if he can 
meter out his energy and his expenditure a little better. I want to see if he can wrestle more. I thought he would be able to get Chukwe to the ground. It's a it's a testament to Tefon's takedown defense that he didn't get him down or keep him down very long the one time he did. But just a good performance and a good good comeback finish to kick off the night. Overall, a really entertaining night of fights. This was another one to me that, you know, flying a little under the radar as week six of an eight-week stretch of consistent events and following a pay-per-view that, had a lot of trash talk, but not a lot of buzz and pull for a lot of people. Um, turned out to be a great event. I thought it would play out this way. I didn't necessarily think we would have eight finishes, but but a really nice night of fights. And a, on a personal note, on a on a keyboard Kimura newsletter punch drunk predictions note, 12 and 2 with the picks, baby. I wanted double digits. I thought it was possible. I'm happy to be back. And now we got to carry that over into next week. When the UFC finally makes its return to London, shifting just to take the quick look forward before we get out of here, it feels like forever ago that the UFC was in London. The last time they were there was Jorge Masvidal, Darren Till, which of course was also Jorge Masvidal and Leon Edwards and the three-piece in Minnesota. They are back next weekend with an absolutely terrific card. I know there are going to be people that are a little bit down on it because there are some names that they don't recognize or matchups that feel a little one-sided. Yes, I'm talking about you, Patty Pimblett, on the main card. But top to bottom, this is an entertaining, competitive fight card. I love the main event of Alexander Volkov and Tom Aspinall. Volkov needs a win over a guy like this to solidify his place in the division. Aspinall needs a win over a guy like Volkov to prove he is a championship contender right now. Featherweight co-main, Arnold Allen returns, undefeated in the UFC. Another guy that doesn't get enough attention. Part of that is because he hasn't been able to be active. Faces Dan Hooker, who moves back to featherweight. He was 3-3 at featherweight to start. Had that great run overall, entertaining run overall at lightweight. Comes back down to 45 Hell of a matchup. Perfect fight for both guys. Mentioned Patty Pimblett. Sergey Pavlovich is back for the first time in a while. Paul Craig looks to make it six straight without a loss. Gunnar Nelson returns. Ilya Tapuria at lightweight. The debut of Mohamed Mokayev, who I think is the best prospect overall in the sport. 21 years old. 23-0 as an amateur. 5-0 with one no contest as a pro. Absolutely lights out prospect. Takes on Cody Durden. Meatball Molly McCann is back. Jack Shore. Team Tank stand up. 5-0 in the UFC. 4-0 in the UFC. Undefeated pro. Undefeated amateur. Never lost a fight in his career. Always walked in and got his hand raised. Walked out with his hand raised. We need to talk about Tank more. I'm very much Team Tank. Corey McKenna comes back. Nathaniel Wood comes back. It's London, so you know it's going to be an absolutely bonkers crowd. And my guy, John Gooden, is back on the call. I am so happy for him. So excited to hear him back on the call next weekend. I think Gooden is an absolutely phenomenal talent. I love when he is on the call, and I cannot wait to hear him. I hope you guys feel the same. I hope you enjoyed Saturday. I hope you enjoyed the pod. I hope you're enjoying everything that's coming out on the newsletter. I hope you're checking out the My Week in Words newsletter. Over on review, it is pinned to my Twitter profile. If you haven't checked it out, it is a one-stop shop for all the content I put out in the week. 
which is a lot of content if I do say so myself. But for now, it's time to get out of here. I gotta go check out some open houses because I'm crazy and I'm gonna move again. I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope you had a terrific weekend. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. God bless. I love you. We'll see you again next week. Of the next day takeaways.